Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. It's good to see you all this morning. Thank you for being here. I hope you had a really restful 4th of July and a Sunday off. As David mentioned the week before, I hope that you did return with all of your fingers <laughs> and had, had no explosive accidents uh, over the holiday. Um, we're going to be continuing in James. We've been doing James this summer, um, which has been a nice change of pace from our really slow marathon in Matthew. Um, and every summer, Trey tends to take a couple weeks off just to rest and relax with his family. Honestly, after just like doing one sermon, I'm like, I don't know how someone does it every single week. It is like, it's, it's really tough. So uh, just thank him if you get the chance for what he does and, and his faithfulness to teaching us. Um, but with that, we tend to cycle through some different people in contrast and we get an opportunity to have just some new perspectives and faces and voices up on stage. My name is Adam, if I haven't met you. Um, I'm on the worship team. I've been with Contrast since the launch when we started as a church plant. Um, I've had the privilege of speaking a couple times up here, and I keep getting asked back, so I guess that's a good <laughs> sign. I haven't done anything too wrong to get canceled yet. Um, but yeah, it's just a pleasure to be up here and an honor to be able to share my perspective Um, on scripture. So today we're going to be in James. We're going to be in James 3, 1 through 12. Um, And I'm going to read this for us to start out. So it says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual able to control the entire body as well. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their entire bodies. Look at ships too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind, but no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. A spring does not pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring produce fresh water. Now, What I love about James is that the entire book is incredibly practical and applicable 
actionable. Hannah and I were just talking before service, and I'm sorry that I'm, I, I will steal this a little bit. You can say it next week, too. I promise no one will remember. Uh, <laughs> We were, we were just talking about, like, why do we even have to teach on this? Like, just read it and go home. Like, it's, it's fine. It's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of, like, hidden meanings in it. It feels um, very relatable to our situations today. And so as, as a teacher, as, as, like, trying to come up with something that can fill 30 minutes of time, it seems a little, like when you're writing essays in, in like college and you're finding really weird ways to like make a simple sentence really long. That's what it felt like doing this. I was like, I think he's, I think he's like pretty clear. I think, it's, I think people will get it. But what I do love about it is that James's priority here is translating the teachings of Jesus into a post-resurrection lifestyle because sometimes we run into this question of like Jesus taught us a lot of really great things. In particular, what James is concerned about here is Jesus's big two commands, right? Love God with everything and love neighbors as yourself. And so James is going to say, okay, if this is the picture that Jesus tells us is what it's like to follow him and live a kingdom-minded life, then how do we do that? How do we love God with everything, and how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? And he gives us a couple lessons throughout this book. Some of them we've already talked about, like favoritism and faith versus works or faith by works. And we're going to talk about quite a few more, like wisdom and passion and pride, wealth, suffering, sickness, all of the things that we still very much face today and have questions about today. What do we do with these things that we're faced with in life? And how do we love God with everything? And how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? And James 1.22, he says, be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. And that inflection point, I think, is is really important and probably one of the most difficult things that we as Christians will deal with, which is how do we take a knowledge of Jesus, a knowledge of faith, and turn it into something that is actionable and that is external, something that's separate from our internal life to our external life. That change is really tough. And so James is going to continually address that. How do we take what we know, something that is a little bit maybe theological, theoretical, nebulous, and make it into something that we can live out day to day. And I will tell you that I am probably one of the first people to struggle with this. I, I love learning about the Bible. I love like learning interesting things. And I, I think I have like a decent understanding of like biblical stuff, but I, I just am not the most disciplined person. And so it's really tough for me sometimes in life to like, okay, how do I actually live this out and translate it and be a follower of Jesus every day? And honestly, I think that that's like what church is for, like why we come sit in this room together for, you know, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And it's, it's because we want to worship together as a group of people, but we also want to rub shoulders with each other and go like, like you guys, you know, like, hey, here's the things that we're dealing with, and like, someone else is dealing with that too. And now all of a sudden, together, we can push each other and encourage each other and build each other up 
in ways that help us love God with everything and love our neighbors as ourselves. And today we're going to talk about the tongue. And uh, when I thought about this, the one thing that came to mind was the old, the old um, like nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. And I was, I was thinking through that, and I, got, I just came to the conclusion that that's really dumb. <laughs> I was like, that's a really dumb, that's a really dumb rhyme. And honestly, it's just completely not true either. Uh, but I think that that's kind of the point of it, that the rhyme itself is a recognition that it is not true, and that is why we say it, because we are trying to um, continually remind ourselves of the danger of, of words, the understanding that, like, it, it's, it's almost like when people are like, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay, and you're like, no, literally everything is not okay, okay? <laughs> It's that sort of feeling that that is saying. Like, words can't hurt me, words can't hurt me, words can't hurt me. But they do. And words are really dangerous. And we're going to find out what James has to say about that. But in particular, I think words, we understand that words are so painful because words often lead to sticks and stones. Like, that's the, that's the starting point. You're like, oh, sticks and stones are, you know, the physical, physical harm. Uh, like, words can't physically harm me. And although that's true to some extent, they can do other types of harm. But then, as we learn, it often leads to physical harm. It's a very, very dangerous path. And our words are extremely powerful. And James does not tread lightly on that. So it's been helpful for me to break this passage down into two parts. And in the first part, James is really talking about the power of the tongue. And I think the reference of the tongue is a little bit strange. That's not really how we talk anymore. And James and other biblical writers sometimes tend to reference the tongue as if it's like its own sentient thing that can like work on its own. And it's like, you have no control over it. It's just going to do what it wants. Uh, and that's not really how we, I think, in 2023 really relate to the idea of like our physical body with like our internal thought life because we just have an understanding of like the brain and the way that we, we think. And James does make multiple metaphors about the physical nature of the tongue with a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship or it being a small spark or a, a small fire that you would start another fire um, with. And we know that the tongue is small relative to the rest of the physical body, but his comparisons here are really about the tongue's strength and what it is able to do despite its apparent insignificance. And we know that the tongue is, in this context, actually a metaphor that represents all of our human communication, all of the communication that we can have with each other. Because ultimately, the tongue is just a, a tool. Like, it just helps us like, make sounds that is understandable to other people. Um, but just like bits or rudders or sparks, even really small tools can have pretty unimaginable consequences or outcomes. And 
this is where James has sort of his first warning about communication. He says, use it very carefully because it is extremely powerful. And so again, by communication, think about it not just as like the tongue or what we say, but it, it, it's really what we can speak to someone else, what we write, um, even our body language, um, symbols that we, that we may have or display or use. It's, it's anything that takes an idea or a thought and can transmit that to someone else. That's the tongue, right? That is the communication point, and that's what James is talking about. So when we hear, like, the power of the tongue, think, like, anything that I can do to transmit an idea to you, that's what we're talking about. And he's saying that idea is super powerful, and you've got to be really careful with it. And I, I think... Um, if James was writing this today, he might use some different metaphors. I was thinking like of something like the uranium atom. Like James would probably be like, go watch Oppenheimer. Um, and then watch Barbie afterwards. <laughs> or whatever order you want to do. There's big debate about which, which order you want to watch this in. Um, but uranium, something that's extremely small but very powerful, right? You can use it as a tool to either power millions of homes, or you can use it as a weapon to kill millions of people. The same thing. It all depends on how we use it. And although we communicate with each other all the time, and we'll get into his warning about that a little bit later, the big thing that he starts in this first part is he warns that very few people should use their voice for influence. Very few people should use this tool for influence because it is so dangerous. And in his context, he's talking about teachers in the early church. And he says that few teachers should, few people should become teachers because of the responsibility that teachers bear and how easy it is to mess it up. He says, if someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual able to control his entire body. And we know that no human outside of Jesus has ever been perfect. So we all know that we've said wrong things at some point, And I don't think that we necessarily need scripture to tell us that. We probably woke up this morning and already screwed up <laughs> in some way before we even came here. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. So I think with our continual mismanagement of words, we rightfully have to be skeptical with how we use them. And there is a reason why anyone who gets up on this stage takes time to prepare and plan what we're going to say. Because we understand that this platform comes with a lot of responsibility. And we don't want to misuse it. And we don't want to use this platform for harm. Because what I say has influence over you. Right now, I am using this tool for influence. And you are trusting me to some degree, I hope, <laughs> that I am going to act in good faith. And the other truth is, like, as, as I have been trying to like, get this thing down, 
I'm realizing more and more that I'm not really, I don't think that I'm all that concerned with like the truth of the Bible coming across as much as I'm concerned about being good and you liking what I say and walking away and going like, wow, that was, that was really great. Like he's super smart and well-spoken and amazing. And, <laughs> you know, I just wish that he would talk for more time. <laughs> and, uh, just, you know, all of those things. But that's what I deal with. And I think that that's also part of James's warning, right? That like when we use this tool, it often is clouded by our own desires and our own wishes of who we are as people, wanting it to be for us and not for the good of others. And it's really important that we understand that. And James is also understanding that it's important because there's a lot at stake when it comes to teaching scripture. Like this is, there's like eternal consequences to this. Like people's, the health of people's souls are often uh, shepherded by what's said on a stage on a Sunday morning. And people, you know, walk away with a lot of stuff from pastors and teachers. And so it's really important that we're stewarding that well. And it's a recognition that we do have the ability to mislead. And it's not that God can't work through our shortcomings. In fact, he does. If he wants to work through humans, he has to work through our shortcomings because that's just who we are. We're just like screwed up people. But I do have the power to tell you something that's not true or not right. And I have the power to mislead you. And that's a really scary thought. And so we have to be very careful with this. And James goes on and he points out that communication, our communication with each other, is the main conduit for evil to enter the world. And that's also pretty scary. <laughs> that, and the Bible talks a lot about like the heart, right? Who we are at, at the core of ourselves internally. And that everything that starts with humans starts inside. But communication is that very first gateway from the internal to the external. And so it's at that point that we realize, like, if there's, if there's evil in here, that's where it's going to come through. It's going to come through at this point. And so we really have to watch out for it. He says that it pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence. And I honestly feel like that is prophetic what he's saying, it sets fire to the course of human existence because James is writing this thousands of years before humanity would witness some of the most disgusting acts of violence and destruction that would be unleashed on the world because of words, right? The first century AD, he has yet to see the bloodiest conflicts that will exist the most powerful tools that we can use for destruction. He doesn't see social media. He doesn't know that that's a thing, that, well, now everybody can just say whatever they want to whoever at any time. It's like Bo Burnham's, you know, the internet, everything, everywhere, all at, you know, all the time. And it's a very scary reality to live in, that now it's like, it's like giving everybody, like, nuclear weapons in their pockets, 
is what we're doing. That's, that's the level at which this is danger and can present harm to each other. <clears throat> now the second part of the passage, this is in verses 7 through 12, echoes really what Jesus teaches. And we can find this in Luke 6, 43 through 45. And I'm going to read that for us. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from brambles. The good person out of the good treasury of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasury produces evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. And it's at this point that James switches a little bit from talking about just the, the power of words to why humans can't be trusted with that power. And it is because we are duplicitous people. We are double-natured people. We are fractured, and we are capable of both good and evil at the same time. James acknowledges that we are often double-natured when he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And both Jesus and James use examples from nature to point out that this isn't right. right? James says, fig trees can't produce olives. Fresh water can't come from a saltwater spring. But for us, this does happen. All the time, I mess up, and I say the wrong things, and I do the wrong things. And I'm constantly this fractured person of, like, sometimes I can do good and sometimes I can do bad. And that's sin, right? And we all do that. We're all in the same boat as far as being fractured, duplicitous people who have double motives all the time. James says, with it we bless, with it being the tongue. We bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. And that's something that I do, too. Bless God, and then, you know, curse people. I don't know that I actually, like, curse them, but there's, there's other ways to do that. Um, I think you can use your imaginations. And so I think that begs the question, like, does, do I not love Jesus? Am I, like, not following him? Am I not being faithful? Like, where, like, it says here that I can't be both things, but I feel like when I look at the evidence of my life, I am both things. And although looking at the fruit that we produce is an important litmus test, whether the fruit is good or bad, it's, a, it's an important litmus test to see how our faith is. And I think that that's a useful tool that we can use. At the end of the day, us being fractured people is kind of the point, right? That is the redemptive power of Jesus. Both Jesus and James here say, look, the perfect intention is that you aren't duplicitous people, that you don't praise God and curse people out of the same mouth. Now, we realize that we do, and that's where Jesus comes in. And his redemptive power is that slowly he is remaking us into his image. He is slowly fusing those fractures back together to make us whole. 
and to make us fit this vision of a world in which we are completely good with no evil in us. And that takes time. Most of us probably won't get there on earth. But that is the vision and the redemptive power of Jesus. And honestly, it's awesome because it would suck if it was our own responsibility to try to like get there. It's like gluing a plate together with like school glue and it's just going to fall apart immediately afterwards, right? It just doesn't work. So the idea that Jesus can take something that is already broken and make it completely whole is a really beautiful picture of the salvation that we have in him. I just want to remind you guys of that this morning. And that's really good news for us. And part of that redemption is the recognition that we are called to be different, right? It's and this, again, is sort of like the struggle, I think, that we have when it comes to, like, being saved and living out Christianity is, like, okay, we are these people who are broken and we mess up and we can't be perfect, and how does that work? Well, part of it is just, like, we recognize that, and the, the point of our faith every day is that we understand that we are called to be different and that we do our best to work toward that. James tells us that as believers, we have a particularly high calling in watching how we communicate with each other. And I think right now in culture, we we kind of see this play out. Um, Of course, we do have social media around now, and we have the internet, which allows us to speak all the time and say whatever we want, for the most part, which James did not have when he was talking to the early church. And I think in culture, in in social media, the message is sort of like, um, express yourself. Find your true voice. Like, you have a responsibility to the world to, like, share your opinion. And even just this week, um, Instagram launched a new... Twitter replacement, basically, called Threads, um, for better or worse. And I, I, th- I think, I, I don't know if I'm just making this up, but I feel like I remember seeing like a piece of copy from them on their website or on the app somewhere that said something like, um, make your voice heard or something of that, of that nature. And I just feel like that is what everything is telling us to do is like, you need to make your voice heard. You need to talk more. And then you read the Bible and it's like, no, you need to shut up. <laughs> like you need to, you need to talk less. In fact, I have a list of all of these uh, references in just Proverbs alone, which James is bringing a lot of, that talk about how you should stop talking. <laughs> They're like, hey, guess what? The fool is the person that doesn't know when to stop. And so when everyone is saying, like, no, 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 you need to, like, talk more and do all of this stuff, it's like we're faced with scripture that says, like, nope, don't do that. That's not not good. And again, I want to be clear that I don't think that that's to say, like, your story has no importance. We do believe that stories have importance, and we do want to hear people's voices. And the Bible does not say that you should never talk or that you should never share. But it says you need to do so 
with a, a scripture perspective and you need to know when to stop and you need to know when to be silent. Because again, it is a weapon. It can be a weapon or it can be a tool. And so you need to make sure that you're using it in the right way and handling it carefully. And it's not just social media. We really live, I mean, like our national identity is built on the idea of freedom of speech, which is a beautiful thing. However, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should, okay? Just because you can say something does not mean you should. And this, I think, is one of the biggest things that James is teaching in this passage. As Christians, we should be the fiercest censors of our own speech and our own words. And we should be the biggest critics of our own communication. Because we are not blind to the power that the tongue has. We have been warned and we've been told. So it is not our responsibility to be flippant with it. It is our responsibility to be some of the fiercest guardians of what comes out of our mouth or what we write or what symbols we have in our homes or on our cars as bumper stickers or whatever that may be. And I think that we can all see the dynamic range that the tongue has whether it's used for love and healing and, and uplifting, or if it's used for hate and destruction and pain. And I want you to think for a moment at a time when somebody said something to you or used words with you that made you feel really loved, feel really healed or uplifted or helped. Just think about that for a second. See if you can pick up an example. And now, think on a time when someone's words absolutely decimated you. And I think, I'm betting, that all of us have very personal experiences with this and have very real understandings of how corrosive and decaying the tongue can be. And I think, I don't know, as, as I was like getting ready for this this morning, I was thinking, I was like, man, I kind of left this part out, and I don't know if I want to say it, but I think I will. Um, <laughs> Which is just like, I think, I think I've been pretty disturbed recently with what people who are either Christians or claim to be Christians are okay with saying and writing in the world. And I just think like, man, the Bible could not be more clear that you are just absolutely in the wrong on this. Whether it's hateful or it's racist or whatever host of things you can imagine. It's just like, man, again, I'm going to say it. Christians, we have a responsibility in the church to be the biggest censors of ourselves. We have to be 
so careful with what we say and what we do and what we write. And it makes us ask ourselves, how are we communicating with each other? How are we communicating with our family, our friends, our kids, our neighbors? How are we writing emails and Slack messages to our colleagues? Are we using that in a healthy way? Like, we have to be aware that all of these things matter and are important. Do we talk about others negatively? And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're, like, having a Saturday morning, like, gossip club. But sometimes it can just be, like, are you disparaging someone behind their back? Even if you don't totally mean to, like, wreck them, those, those again, it is the conduit for evil to set fire to the course of human existence. To set fire to the course of human existence. And we're currently, again, living in this era of, like, we have so much communication happening that we can't even figure out what's true or false. And again, that's another thing. With Christians, sometimes I'm, like, shocked and disturbed at the level that we're okay with things that are not true or misleading or malicious that we share or speak about or write. And we have to understand that we are going to be constantly now dealing with like having to um, keep at bay this fire that wants to destroy humanity, which is really a, not part of the vision of the kingdom of God, right? And that's, that's as believers, as the church, that's also one of our responsibilities, right? When we're called to be the salt and the light, both of which are preserving agents, we are called as the church to be a group of people who stands against those things that would corrode, decay, and rot humanity. Because God says, you are the way in which I'm going to bring redemption to the world the church. And we have the power with our communication to either build up or destroy. And I'm going to end with this. To bring destruction is absolutely, unequivocally, 100% against God's redemptive plan for humanity. So no that you can bring destruction and it is against God's plan with what you say, what you write, what you show to the world through your communication. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your message that is often um, a, a hard mirror for us to set up and look at when we have to face ourselves in it. And see that we are these broken, duplicitous, double-speaking people who praise you in one moment and curse people who are made in your image in another. And I pray that your power would be working endlessly within us to fix that disparity. I thank you for your grace as we understand that we are not perfect people and that we mess up. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to stand against the evil that comes from the tongue. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.